Thank you, Tom, for sharing in God's Word uh, for us as a church family this morning. Please uh, join along with me in a prayer as we prepare our hearts to receive God's Word together today. Heavenly Father, we are always open to you, and uh, we pray that as we are uh, thus open, and that your Word would be effective. We know that the promise is sure within your Word, uh, that when you declare your promises to us, uh, they never return to you void which means that they are always accomplishing something within our lives. So help us to have the eyes of faith to be able to see what it is that you are up to in our lives. And we know that as you are at work in our lives, that is never just for ourselves. It is always for the use and expenditure of other people because you yourself, Jesus, have the heart of a servant. And every one of us who is called to follow after you must likewise have your heart. So help us to develop sensitivities around what it means to be a servant and help us to remember that your word always encourages us how it is to be mindful of others that we are serving. And so we pray, Lord, that your word would not return to you uh, today without accomplishing its purpose within our lives. And all the precious people of God said, by faith, amen. Amen. So this is the uh, third now of seven messages on the theme, Unrepentant uh, Rebels. It's eight if you count in there Palm Sunday as well. And I want to uh, welcome all of our listeners by podcast. There's uh, quite a few people that partake of our Sunday morning message by podcast. And so I say good morning to all of you. And uh, perhaps you know folks in the congregation that couldn't be with us for one reason or another today. Encourage them to go ahead and use the podcast. It's a great way uh, for them to keep up with our Sunday morning messages uh, or on our uh, church website, uh, shandonchurch.com. Uh, they can uh, certainly follow the link on sermons and all of the messages are there. And uh, in addition to that, the church website also has the full summary of our sermon series uh, that you have a copy of in your Sunday morning worship program. So all of those resources are available to you and to your family and friends to encourage them in their faith. Well, last week I left you with how important John's gospel was to me. You can remember that I shared with you how Pastor George Grace put God's word in my hand for the very first time. And John's gospel then became a foundational text for my youth when I was just a young man and my walk with the Lord. And so John chapter 5 within John's gospel becomes very pivotal in how it is that we see and appreciate the life and ministry of Jesus as he approaches this man at the pool of Bethesda who is in need of healing. Now, Janet works at uh, Bethesda North Hospital as a pharmacist, and uh, uh, the hospital where she works, uh, that's where uh, they derive their name, uh, Bethesda, the Pools of Healing. Um, and I have been to uh, the Pool of Bethesda there in Jerusalem. It's just uh, on the edge uh, of the ancient uh, city, uh, along the exterior walls, uh, of the old city of Jerusalem, and this is a uh, vast, complex area. The pools are very deep, and as the scripture uh, that Tom shared with us highlights, it's, a it's an area with colonnades, so you can uh, see the pillars 
Uh, so it bests uh, some of the uh, uh, most magnificent backyard in-ground swimming pools that you could imagine. It's just a, a, a beautiful colonnaded area uh, with these deep pools. Now, uh, this pool area it also passes what we call the Via Dolorosa. Now, perhaps you've heard of that, the Way of the Cross, and the Via Dolorosa uh, means the way of suffering or sorrow. So it was after this incident in John chapter 5, later in the life of Christ, as he is walking along the Via Dolorosa, that he will have passed these pools of Bethesda. And I'm sure that our Lord recounted and called to his own mind how it was that he ministered to this invalid man, uh, this paralytic, as he was passing the stations of the cross. Isaiah chapter 53 says this about our Lord. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, the Via Dolorosa, and acquainted with grief. Grief was not far from the life experiences of our Lord and Savior. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. There was nothing praiseworthy about his life, so says the prophet Isaiah. Surely our griefs he himself has bore, and our sorrows he has carried. Yes, even upon his shoulders as he dragged that cross through the cobblestone streets of old Jerusalem. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, smitten of God, smitten of God for us on our behalf and afflicted, says Isaiah. Now, in the Christian faith, we can certainly hear from the prophet of old that there is connectivity between pain and repentance. The book of Romans says, He who did not spare his own son, pause, reflect upon that, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Though so it is through the pain and the suffering of God's Son, our Savior Jesus, that God the Father desires to give us all things. Now, a biblical appreciation of pain is simply this, my friends. God does not create pain, but he allows pain. For we are people that have the ability to make choices. We have creaturely freedom to be able to choose right from wrong. And some of our decisions are good decisions and some of our decisions are not so good. But pain we can see, whether it's through our own decision making or whether it comes upon us from external sources, pain can be used by God as a tool to bring about his redemptive purposes if we are open to it. Yes? There was a minister uh, going back um, 
into the 19th century by the name of George MacDonald. Uh, he was a Scottish author and poet and uh, giant of a Christian pastor. Uh, he lived from 1824 to 1905, and he was a pioneer of fantasy literature. Uh, he even mentored uh, Lewis Carroll. Uh, if you like Alice in Wonderland, well, George MacDonald was the one who was the inspiration for a lot of the work that uh, Lewis Carroll did. And if you like anything like um, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, uh, which was released as a series of movies, or C.S. Lewis's Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, which has become a uh, a foundational book in children's literature, or even J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter, then you need to tip your hat to George MacDonald because he was the, the genesis of that entire genre of literature within our culture. And George MacDonald, this minister from the 19th century, once wrote, The Son of God suffered unto death not that men might suffer, but that their sufferings might become like his. Now, if it is true that God allows pain to bring about his redemptive purposes, I'd like to tease this out with two stories from the very first church that I pastored, which was a two-point charge. I had responsibility for uh, two congregations. One was a, a rural congregation and one was a, a town congregation. And the, the, the first incidence is that of a, a pastoral call uh, that I responded to, um, and it was to a young man who lived in a trailer park. And I was called upon as pastor of the congregation because uh, this young man, I would say he was in his 20s, well, his grandfather had just passed away. And when I went to visit with the young man, he said to me, he took my hands, why, 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 why is it, Pastor, that my grandfather had to suffer and die? And still holding on to his hands, I said to him, I don't know the answer or the reason as to, to why it is that your grandfather suffered and died. But I do know the one who has joined with us in suffering. And so understands what it is like for us to lose someone that we love and to experience grief and loss and so his his loss then became redemptive because it was teaching this young man something about how it is that God joins with us in our pain now the second story same congregation was of a father and the father as i came to learn in my pastoral care for the congregation was a gambler. And I mean it wasn't just a hobby, it was truly an addiction. Now the thing that is true about addictions that all of us know is that addictions destroy lives. And that was also true in this young family. Uh, the father of, was an entrepreneur, he had his own business, but because uh, he was addicted to gambling, he took all the money of the household 
particularly his son and his daughter's college fund, and he blew it all on the track. And I would counsel him. And I'd say, let's work on this. Let's see if we can change this. And I would meet with his wife, and her heart was breaking in their relationship. Their marriage was being torn in two because of this gambling. And so you could look at that and ask the question, how on earth could this possibly be redemptive? And I don't have an answer for you this morning about that. Suffice to say that I was trusting in the Lord that somehow, some way, God was going to use the pain of that breakage within that family to evidence His love for them. George MacDonald, uh, as a pastor, you see, he was less interested in beliefs and more interested in this. How your beliefs changed or impacted your behavior. And I think, my friends, that's what the world is looking for today because the world isn't so much concerned about a laundry list of beliefs that you hold to be true. The world wants to see how it is that you are a changed person because of what you believe. Amen? And George MacDonald was quoted as saying this, and I love this quote, instead of asking yourself whether you believe or not, oh yes, so true and essential, he says, ask yourself whether you have this day done one thing because he said, do it. Wow. Penned in the 19th century, yeah? So long before the uh, Nike ever came along and said, just do it, George MacDonald said to his congregation, just do it. And behavior, my friends, is what John chapter 5 is all about. And the particular kind of behavior that it concerns itself with is the behavior of this. Making excuses for ourselves. Now, I've read this chapter lots of different ways, but that theme always seems to emerge, yes? You see, it's hard to get to repentance, which is what John the Baptist gave his head for, calling people to repentance, yes? When we continually make excuses for ourselves. So long before the modern age of psychological movement ever began, Jesus dealt with that deep human tendency that we all exhibit to make excuses for ourselves and blame the other guy. Yeah? A teacher was once handed the following note by one of her students, Dear Mrs. Smith, Please excuse Harriet for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off of the porch. And when we found it on Monday, we thought that it was Sunday. And so, therefore, our daughter was not in school. Mm-hmm. Tell us another one, please, yeah? So here is the setup for John chapter 5. In the first century, there was no Social Security Administration. Yeah? There was no, tell me the last four digits of your social security number. There was no disability. 
But in the first century, there were great numbers of people that gathered around the pool of Bethesda because they believed that the angel of the Lord would descend and touch or trouble, as some of the translations of the text say, trouble the waters, stir the waters, and whoever got in first got their healing. Yeah? Now this man, the text tells us, had been sitting around this pool... For 38 years. Now come on. Sitting there 38 years. Now that's a long time to be sitting there and waiting and waiting and waiting. Now I can remember uh, when we lived in Great Britain, we lived in the village of Norton. And, and, and uh, part of what I used to do was I would go down to the local Barclays Bank to make deposits or withdrawals or, or whatever. And I can remember standing, and perhaps uh, uh, Barbara and Janet can, can, can relate to this, but, but when, when you stand in line for anything in Great Britain, you queue. Okay? So in comes this American guy, right? And all these British people are queuing and waiting patiently in line for their turn. And some people are taking a little bit longer than others, you know? And so here's this, what on earth is going on with that line? Because you see, Americans don't queue, they congregate, right? Yeah? And if too much time goes by, they attack, don't they? Yeah? They, they, they do that. And so, um, we wait for things that are worthwhile, don't we? We wait. Finding the right bait. We wait. For that promotion, we wait for it. Or perhaps some kind of medical test that will bring us some kind of news such as what my mother will be having at the beginning of April. And so Psalm chapter 27 verse 14 says, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, wait, I say, upon the Lord. So perhaps that's what this paralytic man was doing there, waiting for 38 years, how about it? You got something in your life that you're waiting on? How about 38 years? So, from all those thronging around the pool, all of those, and it's, as I've described it to you, it's a large complex, a large pool area. All those hundreds of people, Jesus picks one. Just a one. C.S. Lewis writes, Christianity now has to preach the diagnosis before it can preach or share the cure. And there are some of us today, we just want the cure without the diagnosis. We just want to know that it's going to be all right, yes, without the Lord saying to us, here's what you need to do to change. Yeah? And so we want the cure without the diagnosis. And so why does Jesus pick this one person to diagnose out of all of the rest? Well, it's not because his need was the greatest. Because that's always a subjective call. Because is your need greater than mine? Is my need greater than yours? No, that's always a subjective call. Rather, Jesus approached this man because... He never changes us 
unless he plans to use us. If you won't be used by Lord, don't ask him to change you. Because if he's going to change you, he's going to use you. Right? Nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. Yes, we waste things all the time. But God's economy is extraordinarily efficient and He always uses that which He changes and transforms. You see, for Jesus, there is no just business as usual. The Lord doesn't do business as usual very well. And if that's what you're looking for in a God, then you have come to the wrong deity. Because our Lord is never a business as usual kind of Lord. But before God can use him, he needed to use the man's pain as an opportunity to heal a very deep, unresolved issue that was preventing him from embracing God, and that was his excuses. 38 years and no one to put him in the pool? Now, this is what we call pons asineronum. Yes, it's a Latin phrase, and what that means is that we always fail at the point of learning a new lesson. Pons asinorum. We, we come up to it, we reach this point, and then we fail at that juncture, at that critical place in which we're going to le- uh, learn the new lesson. And this, of course, is a chronic condition within our capsized culture in the uselessness of our Congress. In one nation overdosed, Pons Asneronum, continually coming to this point of where we think that we're going to learn the lesson and just at that pivotal moment we fail to learn the lesson or the dismantling of the American family. Always failing at the critical point of learning the lesson. So notice with me this morning that excuses are the complete opposite of repentance. Repentance or metanoia is the Greek word which means a transformative change of the heart owns an individual's own wrongs. Excuses, we know, have a propensity to blame others. Now, now last year, there was a, a hit song uh, by the group or the solo artist called uh, Rag and Bone Man. And it was, uh, I know you two know what that means, but Rag and Bone Man. And the song was called Human. Here's some of the verses. Don't ask my opinion, don't ask me to lie, then beg for forgiveness for making you cry, making you cry, because I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put your blame on me, don't put your blame on me. Oh, some people got the real problems, some people out of luck, some people think I can solve them. Lord, heavens above, I'm only human after all. I'm only human after all. Don't put your blame on me. Don't put your blame on me. Now imagine if Jesus protested, Father, don't send me to the cross. It's not my fault, really. If you only gave me disciples that were competent and faithful, then maybe I could have gotten the job done. 
if you didn't allow the evil one to tempt me in the wilderness, if John the Baptist just would have kept his big mouth shut there along the banks of the Jordan River, come on, Father. But rather than make excuses and blame others, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so he owned all of our excuses. He took them upon himself. So here's the thing. Excuses can create and compile pain. We all can understand that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and quickly God was faced with a class action lawsuit for failure to file an environmental impact statement. God was granted a temporary permit for the project, but was stymied with a cease and desist order for the earthly creative part. Then God said, well, let there be light. And and immediately the officials demanded to know, well, how will the light be made? Would there be strip mining? And what about thermal pollution? And God explained that the light would come from this big, huge fireball. And so God was granted provisional permission to make light, assuming that no smoke would come from the fireball and that he would obtain the right building permit to conserve energy. And he would have to make sure that the light was put out half of the day. And so God said, all right, I'll go along with that. The, day, the, the, the light I will call the day. And when it's night, when the light is out, I will call that night. And the officials replied, oh, don't bore us with semantics, God. And God said, let the earth put forth vegetation and and, and plant yielding seed and fruit trees uh, that bear lovely and delicious fruit. And the EPA agreed as long as non-GMO seed would be used. Then God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth. And the officials pointed out that that this would require approval from the Department of the Interior and and the Department of Fisheries and Games and and, and, and Wildlife. And, And everything was okay until God said that the project would only take six days. And the officials said, well, now... Now, come on, because it's going to take 200 days to review the applications and the impact assessment statement. And after that, of course, there would be a public hearing. And then there would be 12 months. And at that point, God created hell. (laughs) You see how that works? You see what making excuses does to the divine plan of the Father? And so the question that John 5 begs is this. What's the most important thing that Jesus is dealing with here? Is it the man's paralysis? Or is it his excuses? Hmm. In the case of the man lying at the pool of Bethesda, he allowed excuses to define his life. Goodness knows what would happen to me if I actually got my healing and my life was changed and turned around. As John's Gospel points out, Jesus sees right through all of this when he asks the man this one simple question. Because this man can proffer all the excuses that he wants and Jesus says this one thing to him, 
Do you want to be healed? Direct question. If you're not used to God asking you direct questions, we've got to get you. Do you want to be healed? What's your motivation? What's your intention here? Again, C.S. Lewis says, when we want to be something other than the thing that God wants us to be, we must be wanting what, in fact, will not make us happy. So where does that leave us as a society today? Everyone's looking for an intervention. Oh, yeah. Or an interventionist. Yeah. In John chapter 5, the paralyzed man wanted the angel to come down and intervene. And we are a society that thrives on intervention. Intervene with Narcan. Hmm. Intervene with fidget spinners and standing desks, yes? Intervene with special prosecutors ad nauseum. In John chapter 5, if it teaches us any one thing, it is this. Intervention is unnecessary when the Lord of life is standing in front of you. You don't need no angel come down. You don't need no special program off the government. You don't need extra help from the in-laws. The Lord of life standing in front of us. But when Jesus intervenes, He asks this one thing from us. He asks for a response from us. Lewis again adds, For we are only creatures and our highest activity must be that of response to God. Response to God. Jesus came. He was looking for a response from this man. Later, after the Pharisees cross-examine the man, Jesus circles back around and he shares with the man these curious words. He says, stop sinning. Or something worse might happen to you. What was his sin? Excuses. Excuses. What could be worse than being crippled or disabled? I don't know, but this much is clear. Jesus does not tie the man's pain and suffering to the paralysis within his body. He ties his pain and suffering to his excuses. The paralysis of his heart. And so an invitation is given to this unrepentant rebel, it is the same invitation that is given to all who choose to follow Jesus. Do you want to be made well? Therein lies the gospel for us. Amen.